Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Blitz. And then the trampoline broke. <laughs> there were midgets everywhere. We must have used uh, 50 gallons of mustard. It was a hoot. <laughs> Oh, for those of you joining us, we'll explain the joke later. This is Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Hoove and I are having a little fun off microphone. We're going to talk movies this time. I'm Dave Brooks. That really is going to need an explanation to it. I'm Joel Hoover. You're better off not knowing. The setup is almost better than the reality, if you just imagine. I mean, what a hoot. I don't quite think we're the, allowed at that restaurant anymore. It was yeah, a hoot. that's quite the punchline, <laughs> indeed. Well, we're back talking movies. We're sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. We're looking very, very forward to those guys reopening. It might be a little while, but at this point right now, even tonight as we're recording this, uh, the governor of Minnesota going to most likely scale some things back, so movie theaters are going to be trickier to get to. Uh, they're hoping for some kind of relief bill. It's, it's not looking great, but there will be a silver lining. We will get there, and when we do... We're there. Indeed. And depending on what the restrictions might be, there might still be a chance to go and get concessions from the Bemidji Theater. There might still be a chance to do that because by the sounds of things, it's going to be takeout uh, for restaurants. So it might be the same kind of setup for theaters that you can still go for concessions and be able to do that. At least it sounds like that might be the direction that they are trending uh, for tonight's announcement that's going to be coming along. But by this point, by the time you're listening to this podcast, you probably know all the details and how this is all working, so um, we'll just move on from that. But the Bemidji Theater, it's located on Highway 2 just down from the airport. Uh, keep on supporting the Bemidji Theater. Keep on supporting your local theater uh, wherever you may be uh, during this time as we continue to wait for movies to arrive back on the big screen. I think tonight I've got a night with just me and the kiddo. I might swing by the theater and get that. They've got like an ice cream bucket. It's $20. Fill it with popcorn. Yep. And you get refills for the remainder of 2020 and all of 2021 for like $350. Great deal. I've got mine. Yeah. I've got one. I don't have it in the car, but you know what? What's the what's the harm in going and buying another one to help support your local theater? Because they do a lot of work and they reinvest in yeah. that place and that's where they make their money at the snack bar. So even if you don't buy a movie ticket, by all means, you get a little get a little hungry, get a little thirsty, and you need to get a little drink. Well then swing on by. Where else are you gonna find an icy in this town? Bemidji Theater. Swing on by, get a snack and a drink, uh, and then bring it home if you need to, if that's what you need to do, but that way you can still support your theater and take steps to stay safe. Good I, ideas. I, I do love a good icy. I am a big, big fan you know, of ICs. So let me nork you off just a moment here, and you'll, you'll know where I'm going here when I get here. I've gotten to go up into the projection booth at the Bemidji Theater, I think twice, and it's it's cool up there. It's really neat. Who yeah, did not lucky, get to join us on the tour? You, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know, it's always fun, and I don't feel it as much anymore, but I still kind of do. But when I was a kid, the movie theater and the people that worked there were like the keepers of the movies. Yes. I mean, behind that door, behind that wall, are the most goldeniest moments that ever shined on the silver screen, and they all live in that theater. And I got to go up into the projection room where they are emanate from, it's not like it was back in the old days. They get those things like like a file, like you would get like download an MP3, goes to a central hub, and then they doot, 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 hit a button and it goes to projector 12 or whatever it is, and they show it that way. And they have one old projector that'll still do film, just should one happen to come in. It's neat how that works, but it's like lifting the curtain to see the old man is really the Wizard of Oz, but it's still magical. It certainly is. And that's Someday. why I'm still jealous, and Someday. I still think you're lucky that you've gotten to go up there. Someday, who yeah. you'll get one to One of go. these days. Maybe. <laughs> get to play it myself, get to have fun running that. Yeah, one of these days. So not only is it just the magic of the movies when it's done, but that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Sort of a companion piece to an earlier episode we did. It's actually turned out to be fairly popular if you look at some of the uh, the, the you know the what are the, the Dianetics the reviews and the numbers that come back from who's downloading what. We did an episode called Tangible Intangibles where movies are 
they're, they're intangible. They don't really exist. So the parts about them that do exist, this is kind of bride of intangible tangibles where we're talking more about our own experiences of connections with Hollywood and the movies. Or things that we would like to have yeah. happen in the future. Thing, people we'd like to meet. Places we Bucket would list. like to go to. Yeah, things like that that are attached to movies in some capacity. But our own experiences that we have had with meeting people or going places or having a prop in in some way or seeing a prop in some way. It can be as simple as going to Planet Hollywood and seeing an item there, which I have. I've seen many items at, at Planet Hollywood and, and seeing um, where whichever part of the chain you go to, you come across some of that stuff. Oh, Sometimes yeah. like that Planet Hollywood is the hard rock cafe of uh, of movies. Um, it, it's yeah, that you get those props that come with places like that. Although I think hard rock cafe sometimes has movie yeah. related stuff, too. But anyway, memorabilia is very enjoyable uh, to come a, come in contact with. People are, too, though. So are places. And we've had experiences uh, in some capacity with with some of those, but also we can dream a little bit, and maybe you can, too, during this episode of what you would like to see happen with that. Where movies kind of touch the real world. Like, you ever been walking, you ever gone to New York City and gone through Times Square? I mean, I can't think off the top of my head how many versions of Times Square whether it was me, or whether it was actual Times Square, or they just recreated something to look like Times Square, but it which shows is hard up, to do. It sh- yeah, it shows up all the time. So when you're actually there, whether it's from a movie or the opening of Good Morning America or whatever, you know, watching MTV or whatever it is, it's just surreal. It's like when you walk out front of the White House in Washington D.C. I watched that building blow up in, in in Independence Day, but there it is. Yeah, I've seen actual movies that they actually shot something right in front of the White House, and there it is by goodness. You know, it's it's neat. It is almost surreal to be, is this real? Am I, am I really here? Yeah, yeah. Washington, D.C., it can be kind of easy for that because if you've got like a political-type movie or a government-related movie or a thriller in some way, yeah, you go to some of those places, you go to the reflective pool, and you think, is there like a secret society underneath there or like some spy organization, like something Probably that would get tunnels. smart? Yeah, or tunnels that in, very in well some may way. Be. Yeah, you start to think about all of those things um, when you're when you're in those places, or you go to Abraham Lincoln and you think you're uh, Mr. Smith going to Washington a little bit. Yeah. So, even places like that, just general, general commonplace locations like that. I lived in Philadelphia for a year, and you walk around in the old city and you think you're in uh, National Treasure, or you think you're going to see Nicolas Cage running around the corner or something with. Um, Stealing the Declaration of Independence. You know, I thought you were going to go Rocky, personally. Well, that's the really obvious one in Philly is, is with Rocky. And when you go to the steps and you run up the steps, I mean, that concept of running up the art museum steps. I have been in the art museum, by the way. I love the art museum inside and outside. You know, I love getting, you know, running up the steps. It's classic. You have to get the pose. You, you go to the statue. All of those things. And those are all in those movies. But what I also love too is with a movie like Creed, what I enjoyed about Creed was there were places in that movie like that are out of the way of some of the major places in the city where they filmed in there. And I was like, Hey, I kind of remember that place and it's more off the beaten trail within the city. It's like, this is cool that, that they went to, to some of the more, some of the more just down to earth parts of the city, you know, not the not the glitz and glamour places or even the steps, but they go to some of the the places just around the corner, you know, things like that. You know, back in the nineties, Minnesota's status as a place to make movies really rolls up. It's not like that anymore. They had a lot of tax credits and incentives and not to get too into it, but there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff where you might get some tax credits or incentives to go film in particular areas rather than other th- areas. I mean, for example, the the show Fargo, not the movie, but the show, is the first season is set in Bemidji. Well, you may not know, we live in Bemidji. This is where we are recording this podcast, but they didn't film Fargo in Bemidji, not the movie or the show. They actually mm-hmm. filmed it in Calgary. That's right. And I don't think they even made any establishing shots. They didn't film, send us film crew here to get just local shots. They didn't even do that. They just wrote Bemidji on some signs and put it around rural Calgary, uh, and that's what they did. Yeah. But the movie Fargo was filmed here, 
And, uh, and I actually show up in the movie Fargo in the background as part of those movies. Between that and Grumpy Old Men and Grumpy Year Old Men and Mall Rats and others, Mighty there was Ducks. a bunch. Yeah. And then there was the one that you have talked about before on this podcast, yeah. Dave, which brought not only a movie to your doorstep, but also the opportunity to be around the actors involved with that movie and that's Jingle All the Way. I think I've told this on the podcast before, so I won't go into great detail. I think you could probably go back and re-listen to those. But they filmed Jingle All the Way in Minnesota, most of it anyway. And the neighborhood that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Phil Hartman live in, in fact, they're next-door neighbors in the movie, and Rita Wilson, who's Tom Hanks' wife in real life, plays Arnold's wife in the movie, yep. was on my street where I grew up. And funny enough, I had just moved away, and Hollywood moves to my front door as soon as I move away. So they filmed it in the spring of 96, like April. And I didn't get to be in the movie, but I'm right behind a bush or a building or something. Okay, we're going to film. Everyone that's not supposed to be here, hide or whatever. And you're like, oh, I'd like to be in this. But it's a Christmas movie, and it just so happened to be like 80 degrees yeah. when they're doing it. So here I'm watching my elderly neighbors have to put on a real parka, and, <gasps> and they had this... Big giant Newfoundland dog that's just sweating. Ugh, everyone's miserable, trying to look jo- joyful for the holidays. And it's I'm out in there in a jeans and a t-shirt with all this fake snow everywhere that was like cotton balls. Uh, but it was really cool to meet him. Got to meet Aaron Schwarzenegger real quick and got to spend some nice time with Phil Hartman. Boy, what a cool guy. Yeah. He was giving an interview to like Access Hollywood or whoever on our neighbor's lawn. And it was a, kind of a brief lull in filming. And anyone that knows what Lian Chin is, it's kind of like yuppie Chinese takeout food that's in the Twin Cities. Um, somebody had gone to go get some Lian Chin. We're eating in the front yard, and Phil Hartman's doing an interview, and he's kind of looking over it, and it looks pretty good. So we waved him over. He came over and had some egg rolls and did some, uh, you know, President Clinton was in office at the time, and he did the Clinton voice on SNL, so he's doing impressions and doing Troy McClure and Simpsons voices. I, he I, was a really cool guy. That was one of the things that I had asked you was, did he do Troy McClure? Did he yes. do Lionel Hutz a little bit for you? And he clearly did a little bit of both of those. He did come or over. He, tri- he tried to sell you on something <laughs> lawyer related. He was such a cool guy, you know, and he, yeah. he had Minnesota connections too. Unfortunately, his, you know, the situation with his wife uh, was from Thief River Falls, and they would come to Minnesota every so often to see her side of the family and you know, it's a tragic ending, but for the time that they were there, yeah. uh, at least he was there, that was really cool. It was really neat to have it right there in your front steps, and I had access to everywhere because they had, like, perimeters, and my driver's license got me to the set set, yeah. and that was neat. <laughs> it was a good excuse to put up your Christmas decorations in April, and we threw a Christmas party and had people come to the house to watch the filming, and it was neat. In fact, 20th Century Fox... Uh, they paid everyone in the neighborhood. They bought all the dishes for the house. That's what we used our check for. So awesome. when, I eat, when I eat dinner off of those old plates, that's movie, that's movie dinner right there. Well, from my experience, people who know me a little bit know that I come from Pennsylvania and that I'm from the Lancaster County area of you Pennsylvania. You might have picked up on his accent just a little bit. Perhaps. If you know accents pretty well, you know that, well, you know automatically that I'm not from Minnesota, but you also know that... Maybe you know my accent and know where I come from in PA, which some people do. I, yeah. I've been surprised at that from time to time. But where I grew up, where I grew up, a lot of Amish in that area. A lot of Amish. Um, in fact, it is a major tourist destination um, for people who who come there for that very reason. Which I'm just like, let them live in peace. That's that's how I feel a little bit about it too. Plus. Between the buggies and then all the cars that aren't driving up to the speed limit, traffic gets very congested sometimes on the back roads. But it also lended itself to a movie. In 1985, that was when uh, the movie Witness uh, was released, and it was filmed in Lancaster County. In some of the more southern portions of the county is where they did a lot of the filming with the farm scenes with Harrison Ford, obviously, there in in the movie. and Kelly B. Gillis. That's right. And they... um, they did the filming, from what I remember, the filming of the Philadelphia scenes took place in Lancaster City itself at the train station there. I believe was where they, they did the filming um, that that made it look like Philadelphia. And then when they made, when they were trying to make something look like Lancaster itself, they went to this small town that's only about five miles from where I grew up, and now it's only about two, three miles from where my family currently lives. And they filmed it in the middle of that town. And, in fact, they filmed it on a street where I have some friends who live now. So they, they are, their claim to fame is that in this fight scene that happens in town, 
um, involving John Book, Harrison Ford's character, they it took place on their street. And the corn maze that I worked at as a kid, um, I, I worked there all the for summers all the way through when I got this job here. The corn maze where I worked, we we did a an ode to witness in 2005, which was my first year working there, uh, my first summer there, and since it was the 20th anniversary, and we had John Book's actual car from the movie, the blue car that he drives in the movie, was in the maze as a photo op for people cool. when they were yeah when they would uh, would be going through, so they could get their picture with the car and. So that was both a piece of memorabilia and a piece of movie history there. And we had people who, the the maze that I worked at, it had been around for about 10 years by that point. And we had people who came to the maze, a lot of tourists who would come. But people came and they had a real interest in the fact that we were, we were paying homage to the movie because they had seen the movie and they would ask details about it. And, and so then my family and I, we watched the movie then that summer since we were going to be working at the maze with, with that theme. They were like, hey, why don't we watch the movie Witness? So we watched the movie then and got to see that, got to see the car and all of that. And it, it opened the door a little bit in, in my mind of this was actually filmed here, you know, in this county, you know, that I've grown up in. It was filmed here. So it was it was cool when that that moment kind of hit to that that realization in that way too. It was it was neat to have a little bit of that and to have a, a slice of that. Not to the same degree as yours, Dave. I, with the chance that you got to meet the actors themselves and to get to talk to them, and it was filmed right on your doorstep as you're experiencing that. But even for me, just looking back to a, a piece of history, you know, prior to when I was born, and getting to pay tribute to that a little bit was kind of neat and seeing the fans who of the movie who really appreciated it too. So let me try to describe something that is maybe indescribable. So I don't know how smooth this will go, but we'll see how this works. You ever been in an impression where you've been places somewhere very famous, something where something has happened, whatever that is. And maybe that's something in a much more smaller sphere, like going to 9-11 where the Twin Towers were, the memorial that's there. I mean, it's peaceful now, but you can almost hear some level of the atmosphere still screaming from that day. You know, the electricity, the energy, something is left behind, you know, kind of like the Overlook Hotel. Maybe even a smaller sphere, like something in your family, like going to the church where your parents were married. You know, yeah. boy, you can almost still see them almost. Their apparitions are up there. Even if they're still alive, it's still, it's a place where something happened. Yeah. And you could feel it. When my wife and I go to, we got married on the top of a ski hill in the fall, but it's the bunny hill. So, you know, so elderly could walk up to it easier. But when we do go there skiing, we had to take a run on the bunny hill because that's where we got married. You could still feel something you can't define, but it's... I don't know, the atmosphere, the electricity, the energy is still there. I've got a good example of that from a movie standpoint, and that was when I went to Chicago, and we were driving beneath the surface of the city in some of those sub, the, the oh, sub-level yeah. streets that they've got there. Kind of the elevated roadways, and you're on the underside of it. That's right, and you're in those tunnel portions. And I kept thinking of the the Batmobile and that tractor trailer that the Joker is driving going side by side with each other and you've got the police truck with Harvey Dent inside of it i'm thinking about all of that as we're driving along in those portions and thinking of of the explosions and just seeing them weaving in and out of traffic was very easy to picture that in my mind when we were in that portion because they filmed that in Chicago that scene in in that part of the city yeah it's it's almost like if you go to Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas, which is where JFK had a very unfortunate incident, and you almost feel if you go behind the fence in the grass, you know, maybe there's still something there that no one has found in all the you know, decades since. It's just that kind of a feeling. But when it comes to movies, there is that sense. Ooh, this is the jacket that so-and-so wore, and it's re- you can almost see him in it. You can almost imagine yeah. he's going to come around the corner in the restaurant. Oh, I forgot my jacket. You know, it's, it's something weird that's illogical, but it's there. And that's one of the things about the show that we're going to be you know, chit-chatting about, whether it's a set or a prop. You could, when I was a kid, I could still almost feel the same thing just by holding the video cassette box. I mean, come on, they make a million of those things, and they mm-hmm. go to every 7-Eleven from sea to signing sea, but for some reason, there's just something, man, it's like a little piece of the movie is slid inside here. Well, speaking of sea to shining sea, I got to go on a cool trip across the country with my grandpa a few summers ago, and we 
were weaving all over the West Coast. We were we were driving um, six Amish guys who wanted to go to a lot of a lot of the parks out in that area, the the national and state parks out in the western part of the country. So we went to Monument Park in Arizona during a portion of that trip, and you almost think that you're seeing some of those those wagons weaving through, or you're going to see some people on horseback coming through from some of the the classic westerns. You almost see that against all of that or when we were at the base of the Tetons you know you if you've seen the movie Shane you think of that movie and you think of like that house at the at the base of the Tetons there and there's that house where where Shane goes and is with that family or being in Pike's place it's like you're you're sitting down there in sleepless sleepless in Seattle or something like that you know going going to Pike's place and that you're you're getting lunch there um or going to Cannon Beach in Oregon you think that the Goonies are going to pop up there on on the beach and that they're all going to going to be out there and the the the, the pirate ship is going to be sailing away off in the distance there with with the rock and everything so you think of all of that in in some of those places you know that west trip was kind of was kind of neat for that because you you see a lot of those places as you're you're traveling along and and you start to to recognize as you're traveling along that hey these places have been used in the past when it when it comes to filmmaking and movies and it's kind of neat there's they're building uh, it, i think it was supposed to be open by now but with the pandemic i don't think so but it's a the motion picture association of america museum in los angeles and i think it was supposed to open at some point this year well that's probably on hold and i think a lot of these things we're talking about some of them anyway to some degree are going to be showing up there and it'll be a rotating thing so maybe not everything there all the time but it'll always be something different one of the things that kind of struck me was bruce the shark which was the mechanical shark they used from the movie jaws it's going to be on the museum well sort of now here's a little behind the scenes they had four versions of the shark that they made in the first movie there was one that was just a dummy shark, straight up dummy shark, and they would just tow it behind a boat. And it didn't do anything except just float just below the surface. And you'd hook it up with wires or whatever to a boat, and the boat would start moving and the shark would move. But there were times you needed to get a little more up close. And they had a shark that would move from left to right, and it was all open on the other side. So I mean, all the hydraulics and pneumatic and everything, you could see all the wires coming out. And they had another one that was vice versa. And then there was just the fin. Those were the four they made. All four of those, and from Jaws 2, were left to rot and destroy. There is no leftover shark from Jaws. They used the same mold when they did Jaws 2 to make all the exterior parts. They basically had to rebuild what was broken uh, all over again. But they also built one from the mold to have on display at Universal Studios. And for the longest time outside the Jaws ride, that shark hung and you could take pictures with it. Well, they moved it out of there eventually, and it wound up in a junkyard, and then the Motion Picture Association got it. They got it refixed, and it's all nice and pretty. So the shark from Jaws exists, sort of. It's not. It was never used in the yeah. movies or anything, but it's close enough, and it's about as close as you're going to get. Like everybody that has a DeLorean might think seriously about converting it into the time machine, and there are companies that will do that. If you have a DeLorean, and if you don't, they could sell you one, and then they'll convert it. So maybe it's something that has only been around for five years, but it looks just like what you saw in the movie. Was this in the movie? No, it wasn't. Doesn't matter at that point anymore. It's as yeah. close as you're going to get. You know, those kind of things are awesome. Even if it's not done up, if I saw it, and you don't see a lot of them, but there's a DeLorean in this town, and I saw it driving one time, and I think I might have had a police call on me because I'm being followed by this guy. I don't dare stop. He looks. He looked rather manic. I probably did, drooling from the mouth and just yeah, leaning to see out it. the window like a puppy with your tongue hanging out in the breeze. Like that's a should DeLorean. I, should I not have been yelling? Pull over! Pull over! I. You probably shouldn't have. Yeah, <laughs> going wee woo wee woo the whole way. Oh, when I got to go to the Harley Davidson Museum in Milwaukee, I got to see um, the bike that they used in Captain America. The motorcycle mm. from the first Avenger, yeah, that that World War II style motorcycle that they used there. So I got to see that bike as well in in museum form. It was cool seeing that one that they used for the movie too, because it's it's this classic heavy duty World War II type of motorcycle that they have in there, and it looked pretty sweet. So I remember I, I ran into a discrepancy once, and I don't know which is the truth. So there's a movie, Clint Eastwood movie, uh, you, you're not supposed to talk about these kind of things, but I can't talk about the movie called In the Line of Fire without mentioning presidential assassins, because that's what the movie's about. 
So John Malkovich is going to a would-be presidential assassin, and he builds a gun out of like composite, like plasticky. It won't set off metal detectors, and evidently, it did work. They did build it before 3D printers so that you could actually make this thing work. But because it was quote unquote a hazard, which I don't really understand because those things exist nowadays, they allegedly had to destroy it after the movie. But I remember going to, I think it was a Planet Hollywood somewhere, and they had the gun in one of the cases on the wall. I'm like, and this was years after the movie came out, probably late 90s, early 2000s, and the movie came out in 92, 3, something like that. Like, wait a minute, I've read somewhere they had to destroy what I'm looking at right now. How is that the case? Have you ever followed up on it? Well, I mean, I don't want to get too much into online web searches looking for destroyed presidential assassin guns because I don't think be, you have to search there might it be like a knock that. at the door. I think you can I think you can <laughs> tweak your search there to look for and include the movie title. I, I in the in the line of fire it's not helping me, you that, know. That's probably if it was true. Howdy Doody buys a gun, I might be okay, but that was <laughs> not the title of the movie. So and there was already enough controversy around that movie as it was, but it was it's a good movie too, and I have oh, no man. plans just to make it official. But yeah, but it was interesting. But at the same time, the DeLorean at the end of Back to the Future Three will kind of circle back. It's hit by the train. And is destroyed. They did that for real. But there was more than one DeLorean that they used, obviously. But the one that was hit by the train, I went to, I think it was a, I think it was a Hard Rock Cafe, actually, not a Planet Hollywood. And I think it was, it might have been Hawaii? Somewhere out west. Maybe Vegas? I don't remember exactly where it was. I think it was Hawaii. And they had this battered up DeLorean shell hanging upside down over the bar. And it was one of the ones used in the movie. I'm like, ooh, this had seen some tough days, evidently. And many of those cars were kind of left out to rot. You're thinking maybe that's what it was. I found out many years later that was the one hit by the train. And so obviously they kind of hammered out some dings. And I mean, most of the special stuff for the time she was off of it. But that was the one that was hit by the train. They kind of bent it more or less back into shape. Didn't look great, but it was, you know, it's okay. Which explains the aesthetic. Yeah, it and the way that it was hung there and dangling in pieces. But they never, they kind of reassembled it. But I would have gone one step further rather than as seen in Back to the Future. How about this is the one that got hit by the train. They took it off the tracks. They kind of yeah. more or less put it back together. They'd made some strategic yep. cuts on it. But they, you know, so this is the one. And so it did get, you know, more or less a little more love to it. I don't think it's drivable. I don't know where it is nowadays, but it. Boy, that, at least it got back together. That scene makes awesome. me cry. I can't see that without crying. Yeah, yeah it's it's a Weeping. piece of those movies that is suddenly gone in that moment, and it's a fairly significant piece, too. So part of the crossing with Hollywood is also what would we like to do? You know, yes. If I had a choice, yep. if I could engineer something to happen, going to the Universal Backlot, for example— that could happen. I have a friend that works out in Hollywood. I mean, I haven't talked to her in forever in a month, but I'll bet you if I hit her up, hey, could you hit me up for a VIP pass or something? I'd love to walk and see and whatever. You can be my tour guide. We'll catch up and show me what's going on, you know. But that would be a hoot and a half. They have VIP passes in Universal Hollywood. I would take one of those because I would love to go to the Bates Motel. I would love to go see the Psycho House. I want to walk on the town square, which is also the Hill Valley Clock Tower set. It changes from year to year, yes. There's been fires and things look a little different, yes. Yeah. But that's a working, you know, studio. You know, the the sets that are there, they get used more than you think. And a lot of times, and not just older movies nowadays, and the, the way they made it work so well is that while they were already using all that stuff, hey, let's open it up to the public versus, hey, let's make a theme park and we'll film there too. It's not the same. You go around a corner and... I've seen this building in 29 different movies. You know, looks like New York, looks like this. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they filmed that movie on the Western sets in the, in the Universal backlot, but I'd love to be able to freely roam. And I got to go on the tram ride circa 1986, I think it was. Uh, my sister graduated from high school out in L.A. We went to Universal Studios, and I went to the Clock Tower set, but I hadn't seen Back to the Future yet, so it didn't mean anything to me. I was like, oh, that's cool. But didn't see it. The Jaws thing. You were ahead of the game, though. 
oh, they had just filmed it like maybe not even a year before. And now I'm there. It looks just like it did in the movies, but it didn't mean anything because I didn't been to see the movie yet. But you were ahead of the game, Dave. That's what I'm saying. You but were I ahead of the it. game. But at the same time, I missed it. I was too ahead of the game because I didn't know what any of it meant. Yeah. Here's what Doc Brown hung. I don't know what that means. Well, now it'd be something. So yeah. if you get a special pass, you can go and see it. But at the same time, you know that it's just pretend. That's not an actual building. Yeah. It's a facade. If you go behind it, it's just timbers and nothing, which almost, it's like you don't want to meet your favorite stars because what if they're not nice? It's the same kind of, you know, takes the old man behind the curtain kind of thing. Dave, in the same way that you can, like, throw a stone and you'll hit an espresso store in or an espresso stand of some kind in Seattle, I think you could throw a stone and you'll land on some kind of tour that you can get in L.A., of various movie locations. Oh, like, yeah. L.A. Is, is such a hotbed for that, of course, with Hollywood being there, and they film so much around the town there, and people are just kind of used to it, more or less. Like, I'd love to go to the Cinerama Dome in there, which yeah. is such a classic, and it has its moment in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where it just kind of shows up when they're lighting everything up around town. Like, I'd love to go there and see a movie there and kind of hop around the town and go see movies at different places. Like, I'd love to see a classic movie at the old Chinese theater there. Yeah. And I, I'd like to go see some of the other some of the other older, more classic hole-in-the-wall cinemas that they've got there um, that still show stuff on reels. A and portal still, to yesteryear. Yeah, exactly. And they show things on, on old reels and 70 millimeter, things like that. I, I'd love to check out a little bit of that around the town, you know, if I were ever to, to get out and visit L.A., uh, and see that, but a lot of where my mind goes of places I'd like to visit would be more on the international front because okay. I have not been out of the country except for Niagara Falls and going over to Canada there, which is barely out of the country. Right, you could throw a rock back into the U.S. from there. Exactly. So I would love to go to a few different places around the world and and see how they look. And part of that is based off of movies. Like one of my favorite destination movies just simply because of the setting is to catch a thief and they have some amazing amazing scenery from the french riviera in that movie and i i've always thought since seeing that movie that it would be cool to go to monaco and to to see those portions that they had in that movie some of them are against a screen but some of them are on location there in monaco i mean they say it's Hitchcock on holiday, and it basically is. And you've got such wonderful, wonderful settings that that pop up in that movie as a result. So I'd, I'd love to see that. Um, another one that has come up is Lake Como in Italy, and oh, yeah. really the Italian coast in general, which came up in the movie Tenant. I, they have a portion of that that's filmed along the Italian coast. I believe... Actually, is it off the Italian coast? I think Pretty some of it, it. Some of it was, or or around the Italian coast, maybe on, on the other side of it. But um, Lake Como, those kinds of areas, Italy, just in general, in some of the movies that I've seen, looks like it's a beautiful setting, and would be really cool to to see more of, um, based on just the snippets of of things that I've seen in movies and and the clips that they've got. Lake Como's been a a fairly routine location, um, and it's a pretty ritzy location, but it's it's where a lot of movies have been filmed, and it just looks gorgeous. I knew some guys that went to Norway to go where they shot the at least the plate shots for Empire Strikes Back for the Hoth battle scenes. It's a it's a it's a fjord, or you know, in Norway, it's there's nothing there really, and there weren't a lot of actors that were on the you know the ice flows of Norway. Some of the scenes there was so much snow they had Luke Cam- Luke Hamill or Luke Hamill Mark Hamill. Just go out the door of the hotel and try to work his way back in. They you filmed said, him from the you've doorway. You said that before, yeah. But you know they found the spots. They had the camera shots and they got it all lined up. Okay, you could tell by this mountain peak and such and such. But they didn't film. They didn't giant bring in giant you know imperial walkers. They would just film the background shots. But some people are so <sighs> they have to find the exact tree in the redwood forest that was on Endor. You know the exact tree to the bush. Well, that I think Han Solo leaned up against this one right here. You could tell because, and that's cool. There's that kind of a fandom, but I need a little more. I I found out just a couple years ago that the Skywalker homestead that they built out in the deserts of Tunisia 
were actually built and they're still there to this day. They started falling apart and there were enough fans that were so, that can't be. We can't let this stand. They went out to the Home Depot in, in Morocco, or, or Tunisia rather, and fixed it. Well, think about it. They used it again in Revenge of the Sith yeah. and went back there again and it still looks the part. But they that's, repaired that's it a little why. bit and it had fallen down again and they've repaired it since. And they put a little plaque in there and made it work. And I mean, that's neat. You almost wonder if Mark Hamill someday when he gets to retirement, you know, yeah. And he just goes back to Tunisia and just goes there. Maybe some fans will be there today. I don't know. But I'm going to go and just, you know, this is where it started. This is where my acting career is going to end or something like that. I mean, would you think actors ever do that? Would you think Harrison Ford, when he goes to Venice, do you think he's like, I was here as Indiana Jones, I remember. Yeah, it remembers me too. You know? I don't know how sentimental a lot of them are, <laughs> but if, if they are, maybe it does bring back some of those kinds of memories or they like to go back just for fun that way. I, I have no clue how they operate, though. You know who I would like to meet, speaking of parts for the movies? Because, yeah. you, you know, think about, like, um, famous characters. You know, I want to meet the President of the United States. Well, a lot of actors have played the President of the United States. You want to go meet Martin Sheen because of this, because he played that part in the thing. Well, there is no President Bartlett. He doesn't exist, but Martin Sheen does, and that's as close as it's going to get. I clearly have kind of unzipped my nerd fly here, and I've let people know that I am uh, definitely a nerd on things. So who would I like to meet any time at all, living or dead? But let's be realistic. I want to meet Christopher Lloyd. From Doc Brown from Back to the Future. You imitate him every 80s weekend, which is coming up this weekend. That's true. A little bit, a little bit. He seems like sort of an enigma in a lot of ways, and he's shown up so much everywhere that he's got at least a fingerprint from everywhere. But, you know, the interesting thing is he's a very, you know, mellow, laid back, almost very introverted guy. But then you watch him perform, and he's just bombastic. He's just, he's, he's just wildfire, barely contained. Where does that come from? How do you have that? You're so not that in normal life, or are you and you're holding it back? Where does that come from? You know, I would love to meet him because, you know, the Back to the Future trilogy for me is one of the biggest ever to this day, even. It's awesome. And to meet him is, you're never going to meet Doc Brown, but you're going to get pretty close if you meet him. Just, you know, let's go to lunch, let's chit chat one hour, and I'll beg for a little more, but that'll be good enough, you know. That would be awesome, awesome, awesome. He just seems so cool, but also so very unlike his most famous characters in real life. You can see interviews, and he's not that. So where does that come from would probably be my biggest question. That would be cool. And I've heard he's a cool guy, so you hope that you meet your heroes or whatever and they live up to it, so to speak. Yeah. Would you want to meet anybody? One. You get Hmm. one. One. You can't say, okay, I want to meet this guy. I want to meet that. You're not going down the uh, the aisles of uh, Actors R Us. uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I have one that really, really, really sticks out in the way that Christopher Lloyd does. Like when you were describing all of that, I was trying to think through my mind of, and I've been trying to think even leading up to this this podcast of, is there one person who I would really, really want to meet? And I, I don't know. It, it Director, seems like maybe? Well, on a directorial side of things, I would really enjoy meeting Christopher Nolan. I knew you were going and there. Pick, and just, <laughs> just to pick his brain on where these ideas come from for his movies and these concepts and how far back have these things gone. Like, I have a friend who has a theory that there is just some movie that is sitting on by the way this is this is courtesy of Treg Thorsgard. I want to give I'll give him a shout out. <laughs> Treg, this is your theory. I'm just I'm giving you the credit for it here and as as I'm sharing it on the podcast. He has a theory that there is some movie that is sitting on the desk of Christopher Nolan somewhere. The world is not quite ready for it yet. But with every screenplay with every movie that has been released progressively over time, we're getting closer and closer to it. We're getting closer and closer to the mind blower of the all mind blowers. Mind right. That we are not quite ready for, but that he's getting us ready for with every movie that he goes, all right, we're going to go for this one. All right, we're going to go for that one. With each one, we're getting closer and closer to it. I How think you it, make Kurt Russell look so young with that CGI? Oh, uh, yeah, CGI. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's genius. I think it's a <laughs> genius theory um, of, of what we are building toward. But I, I'd love to just 
to just pick his brain a little bit on how do you come up with the ideas that you do. Now, as far as on the on the acting side, there are there are quite a few men and women who who I think would be fun to like have a conversation with about how they and that goes for TV and movies. Like you and I are in radio. It'd be fun to talk to Kelsey Grammer a little bit, yeah. you know, who a guy who who acted this is on the TV side of things, but a guy who acted in a a TV role where it was about radio and where where radio was very uh very prominent. Um, so I, I think that'd be fun. I'd, I'd love to talk to various people associated with the the Breaking Bad and, and Better Call Saul worlds um, a little bit. I, I think Rhea Seahorn is incredible on uh, Better Call Saul and um, and Bob Odenkirk, who's who's terrific there. Um, and then going back to Breaking Bad, it, it'd be cool getting to to meet um, Walter White himself, Brian Cranston, you know, and, and Jesse Pinkman, Aaron Paul. You know, that they'd be interesting people to talk to. A guy I've always liked a lot is Ewan McGregor. Like I, I like Ewan McGregor. You know, going back to when he was Obi Wan, but even some of the other roles that that he's done, he seems like a very very versatile guy. But you know, if I did have to come up with one person, just one who's an actor, I'd I'd say Michael Caine. I would love to talk to Michael Caine. What a what a wealth of history yeah. um, that comes with the roles that that he has done and the performances that he's that he's done over the years. I, I've watched some of his stuff from back in the '60s. You know, I've talked about the Ipcris file before, um, and the old Italian Job and, and some of those movies. Um, you know, he he had spoken after the passing of Sean Connery because they were in the Man Who Would Be King together, um, and he spoke about that a little bit. Um, there's a guy who has a, a great deal of... He's the key to six degrees, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. He's worked with everybody or everybody that worked with somebody that he didn't work with. Yeah. Or he sat next to him at the Oscars or something. He's the key to six degrees. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd enjoy talking to him a little bit and, and getting getting a sense of what he's like. Plus, another guy who... He seems like a little bit of an enigma, but he might, like if I had to back up it, he seems like a little bit of an enigma in some ways, but he, I'm sure he'd be a really compelling chat would be Daniel Craig. I think it'd be interesting yeah. talking to him a little bit because he seems kind of funny, like, and very, and he's got some wit about him. Like he hosted SNL. I mean, he's, he's he got a good job with that. Yeah. He's got a little bit of that to him. Um, and he seems to, he seems to think a little cerebrally, at least sometimes, some of the time, but um, it, he might be a really fascinating chat too. Okay, I've got it. This is the brass ring. You never know who's listening. You never know who gets. You know, let's make this happen. You never know. You just never know. So let's reach for the brass ring here. Who? Here's me. Well, I would love to meet Christopher Lloyd, and that'd be the one thing. We're gonna go for all of it in one shot. I would love a personalized tour of the Universal backlot by Steven Spielberg himself. How many movies has he made there? Do you know right behind the cycle? That's house? the home run right there. That's beyond the home run. That's the grand slam that hits the other team's owner's car windshield as it leaves the ballpark. <laughs> That's what that is. Yes, it is. Right behind the psycho house is where the destroyed 747 airplane crash scene from his version of the uh, War of the Worlds is. You just don't see it, you know, unless you're on the set. But uh, you know the lake from Jaws, and for a long time, the boat, the orca was there, the actual boat. There were two that were used. One made it back to Universal. And there's a famous story that you know when Spielberg was early in his career, he'd be having a down day or whatever. As difficult to shoot as Jaws was, he would go to the orca because it was the ship, the real one from the movie. And then one day he went back there, and it was gone. Somebody just chainsawed it up, and he was mad because it was something. It's not only that, it was a prop from a huge, at that point, huge movie. You'd think at yep. the very least they'd move it off to the side, you know, restore it just enough. Yeah, I remember Here's you telling something. this story. Yeah. So I would love that. You know, one hour, let's get a golf cart or whatever, show me around, because he's not just, you know, when this is where they make this. That's wonderful. Tell me about the stuff you've done. Tell me about some of the other stuff. Let's go into the psycho house, even though you can't really go in it. There's nothing there, but let's yeah. do it anyway. You know, that would be the brass ring. He is responsible largely for my childhood. He just is. Producer on Back to the Future, you'd have stories for that. Um, he's, he is connected in some ways with Star Wars, sort of, but not really. Uh, that man largely responsible for some huge highlights in my childhood, at the very least. Thanks, Steve. Any women actors you'd especially like to meet? Oh, yeah. You know who I would love to meet? I, I would get a kick out of Whoopi Goldberg. I really would. Yeah. 
She yep. is. I mean, well, you like to laugh, Dave. So I feel like if you I chat like, with Whoopi, you'd get a chance to laugh quite a bit. I, I would do that. I would laugh. You know, some of her politics, maybe not, but she is. She's down to earth, man. She's there. She's a cool cat. She is one that you don't. You would not have a conversation that would run dry. If you ever just see her talking and she's not, you know, pushing anything and she's just there chit chatting. Oh, she's a hoot. And she's funny, and she's gonna make you learn. She's like sitting down. I'm not. This is not an age thing. She just has that old soul about her. Even when her movie career was red hot and she was in her 30s, she still had an old soul even then. And there's just something about her that just is. She would just be the the total package. She's got enough stories from her own. She's an Academy Award winner. She's funny. She's thoughtful. Um, yeah, she'd be a hoot. I'd love to sit down with Rupi Goldberg. If someone said, well, I'm on the air, oh, there's a, there's a Whoopi Goldberg here to talk to you. Would you like her to come on the air? Heck yeah. Show her back. Yes. Cool. That'd All be right. Cool Let's see. Uh, the easy one would be like some hot actress that you got a crush on, but go deeper. You know, I, I'm married. I'm not running off with anybody. So, well, it's, know. it's especially about conversation. I think there'd yeah. be cool stories. Like, like for me, um, you know, I, I mentioned that Michael Caine would be interesting to talk to because of all the movies and different experiences he's had along those lines. Like, I think I think Judy Dench would be kind of similar along those lines. Um, Faye Dunaway is another one who I think would, you know, it'd be neat to have conversations with people who've had so many movie experiences over the years. And you can pick their brain of, what was this movie like? Or what was it like working with this person or, or having... Having this kind of this kind of experience that you went through, what what I'd, was that like? I'd love to meet Meryl Streep and Steve Martin. Huge fan of Steve Martin. I've talked about that, but Meryl Streep, kind of similar to Whoopi Goldberg, she, from all accounts, is a cool person. You know, but she's also the air is thin up there. I mean, how many? Come on, how many? When the Academy Awards are on, you know, she's probably going to be there, if not nominated, if not probably win. Yeah, but she's also one of those gals. She just seems really down to earth and fun and enjoyable. And I've spoken before about Steve Martin. What a hoot he is! He is funny and really smart, right? Whip smart. And if he gets involved in the making of a movie more so than just in front of the camera, it's going to be something special. And I'd love to meet them all. Any other places that you'd really love to go to? I, I mentioned a couple of places that I that I'd enjoy going to. Any that you can think of, Dave, yeah. that, that would be really fun to to go visit. I would love to get some time in California, and obviously, I said Universal Studios when Steven's showing me around. You know, my special VIP pass. But a lot of those scenes and stuff still making a push for that. And other movies were filmed in other places around California. I'd love to go to some of that stuff. Um, but even find Bodega the- Bay. Yeah. But I'd also like to go to uh, Martha's Vineyard in New York because it looks just like the movie Jaws. That's where they filmed it, and they just they were not allowed. There's very specific special zoning about that stuff. Even like the buildings that they would build for the sake of the movie, like Quint's Shack, it was extremely temporary. It was not there for more than a minute and a half after they stopped rolling and they took it all down. But most of that stuff is there. And, I mean, that's where they filmed the movie. You can go to the beach where the where the shark attack hit, where the shark attacks come, and it's the same beach, and it looks just like the movie. Nothing changes out there. Even if it's, you know, 40 years ago, it's time kind of stops out there. Time looked, it looked old even in 1975 when they made the movie. It doesn't look any different in 2020. It's the same place. Would I go swimming out there? Hell no. Not a chance, because I saw what happened to this beach, and I know there could be something out there again. I would walk into my toes like Chief Brody himself. I'm not going in that water, but I would love to go to the place. That's like when I drive through the Meadowlands going up to New York City, and you just drive a little bit faster when you're going through the Meadowlands because you keep thinking that somebody's going to pop out of the reeds with a Tommy gun. Yeah. I would love to go see places where some of my favorite movies were made. Some of them are on the back lots. Yes. Some of them were locations like Jaws. It's the scariest movie I ever saw. Yes. Would I rent a DeLorean time machine and pull up in Marty McFly's driveway because it's a real house? Yes. I probably wouldn't be the first one to do it. They'd probably come out, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, you go this way, Marty. Yeah, we'll see you in the future. You know, it probably something along those because lines. Because people do retcon stuff like that all the time. Oh, or, absolutely. Or absolutely. Things along those lines. But some of that stuff would be so much fun. You know, some of that you buy into a little bit, even though the Hollywood sign is its own degree of special. I mean, let's realize it was a real estate sign at first when it was Hollywood land to advertise a particular development of homes. It's morphed into something else. The restoration in the 70s, Hugh Hefner and others helped to restore it. It's, it's got its own history. 
That reminds me, another location in L.A. that I'd love to go see is the Observatory. Because oh, that's such an iconic movie location in so many different movies. Rebel Without a Cause, most notably, um, up there. But it's also got a great view that comes with it, too. It's not just going because there have been movies shot there. You know, La La Land, you know, they went there during that movie, too. But you get a great view when you go up there as well, which is also very appealing. Yeah, it'd be cool just to go drive around and... You know, I think there's something about when you go out there, it's like every time you go to Vegas, this is the table that I'm going to win the millions and I'll be the famous you know, millionaire that went to Vegas. You think when you're in L.A. that you're going to run into somebody. And even better than that, they're going to say, oh, you'll be perfect for this next role. And they drag you off into a van and they put a bag over your head and you realize it was a bad impersonator job and you're in trouble. You know, another funny thing is when you go to a location and they are very self-aware of the fact that there have been a lot of movies there. When you go to Hoover Dam, there is a part of the visitor center there that is dedicated to movie posters of movies that have been shot there. And there have been quite a few that have been shot at the Hoover Dam. I mean, you get a Transformers poster that's there. I keep thinking Megatron is going to come blasting out of the dam here while I'm hanging out. You know, you, you go to a place like that and... It is part of the the lore of some of those locations too. It's it's funny um, when you go to a place, but they recognize the lore that is attached to it that's movie based, and they play into it like that. You know, and I think there's a place like that, movie connected or otherwise, everywhere. And Minnesota, I think our version of that has got to be downtown St. Paul at a great place called Mickey's Diner, yes. which has shown up in a couple of movies, by the way. It has. Um, but it's a great place, and everybody at some point goes there. It's not like every Minnesotan. They don't. There are people I know that have never gone to the Mall of America. I don't need to go to the Mall of America, but they will go to Mickey's Diner. And everybody will, whether you're sitting next to the governor who has eaten there on occasion, various different governors or state senators or just famous people or balls, ball athletes, ball players. I was trying to say ball players. I couldn't say ball players. Um, everybody goes there at some point. You might actually run into somebody you know directly. Bob, are you there? Hey, what are you doing here? It's Mickey's Diner. Everyone comes here. Yep. It's its own connection in a way. And so by going there, Mickey's Diner is more than the sum of its parts. It just I don't know how else to describe that, but it's like the steps of the the art museum in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just a, it's a legitimate train car from back in the day. They just kind of parked it right there and that's where it's been ever since. It's on the landmark of historic places. You'll never get a huge crowd in there because I think it can only seat like 20 people or something. It's small, but it's awesome and I've eaten there several times. And, you know, if I'm going to go to a wild game or something, I will eat at Mickey's Diner, especially if it's on a weekday, and then make my way over, and it's a hoot. And if you haven't been there, you should definitely do it. Do they still have a portable phone there, too, a phone booth, or is it still broken thanks to Sinbad? <laughs> I don't I don't remember there being one in there. There might be, but they may have just done it for the movie. Uh, I don't remember. I think every time I go there, when you walk in the front door, I think the phone booth is to the left, and I think I've always sat to the right. I don't think I've ever gone okay. past the counter. I think I ate <laughs> at the counter one time, and that was it. But uh, uh, you got to go to Mickey's Diner. That's yep. probably maybe the most famous communal gathering spot, if you want to call it that, in all of Minnesota, I think. And it's right down the street from the Fitzgerald Theater, which is another big spot, and the Capitol right there, and it's, yeah. it's a cool spot. And it's a movie connection. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, talking about some more tangible intangibles today, uh, revisited uh, but in a whole new vein with some of our own personal experiences uh, that we have had over time with the movies and ones that we may have in the future too. I, LA is still a place that I would enjoy vi- just getting a chance to check out. I, I don't know if I'd want to spend a ton of time there, yeah. but I'd enjoy getting a chance to check it out for some of those places just, just for fun, but also to go to the beach. I got one more good one for you here. Who, go for a it. A good nude screen. Okay, so I'm sitting here at this table. Table's got to be, we'll call it 10 foot long and about three foot across. Sound about right? 10 by three? I think that's a pretty good guess. Pretty close, just yeah. eyeballing it. So when I say prop, it's got to fit on the table. So you can't get the DeLorean car, so that shoots me in the foot right there. But any prop that has ever been in a movie, and it has to fit on the table. So you can't get the set from the whatever. Vehicles probably are not going to work unless you're talking about some sort of some sort of uh, you know like the like the Porsche from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was not a real Porsche. They built the body of it out of fiberglass and put it over a chassis, and that was what they used. In fact, they had that chassis, or the, 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 the shell, hanging over one of the tables of the Planet Hollywood that used to be at the Mall of America, by the way. So prop means it has to fit on this 10 by 3 table. 
Obviously, um, you know, pistols would work, um, costumes would work, unless you're talking about a full Bantha outfit from Star Wars, that wouldn't work. The bat suit would work. It would, yeah. So I'll tell you the one I would do, so I'll give you a moment to think about it, and I actually saw this, it used to be at a Planet Hollywood somewhere, I can't remember where, it since has been sold in an auction, for the movies, the Starship Enterprise, and by that I mean the William Shatner era, so this was... The model from the one to three, yep. they blew it up, but it wasn't. They didn't blow up the model. They had a different model they made. Then they repainted this one, and it was the next Enterprise. So it looked just like the last one. Anyway, it's like it's like six foot long. It would fit on the table. It's got some weight to it, but I don't think it would collapse the table. I think it would work, and I would love that one because that one to me is my almost is my most favorite Enterprise. I like it better than any of the TV ones. I like it better than any of the movie ones. And unlike nowadays, where everything is CGI. This thing was shot for real. It was a six-foot-long model or whatever it was, and it was the real deal. They got the camera in there close. None of it is CGI, and it was a beautiful paint job. Evidently, it was a nightmare to shoot the thing, but anyway, it was physically really there. So when you're looking at it on screen, you're looking at that model or some version of a model if they had to break it up or something. Um, But that would be one I'd like. I would make a whole wing. The whole guest bedroom would just become... The model room, you know, you can you can cuddle up to the model. Don't touch it. No flash photography. Beats the Millennium Falcon for you. It does. Yeah. The Millennium Falcon was a cool ship, but it was kind of junky. It was kind of kit-bashed, which means they took a lot of stuff from a lot of places. And There's kind of an elegance it from the Enterprise. It was streamlined. It's beautiful. It's, you know, it's a beautiful woman. All the lines and the curves, they're just something to soak in. You know, the Millennium Falcon is... I mean, Han himself made a lot of modifications. It just kind of looks like it's been there. You know, it just looks rough and tough. And, you know, I can't memorize every curve because it's so jagged in a lot of ways. We do try to make this a PG show. I stopped before they (laughs) thought about the re-rating to PG-13. That was quite respectable. All right. um, One that that I've seen. Has to fit on the table. One that I've seen is Spock's ears. I forget which movie it was from, though, but at Planet Hollywood, I got to see Spock's ears. Um, I believe it was the Planet Hollywood in New York City. It'd be Um, interesting where exactly they came from, because they don't reuse them. You you get a new set every single time. Let me think. And there's difference, because if you watch the the progression of Leonard Nimoy, the ears are swept back, they hook around forward, they're Mm -hmm. straight up, they change a lot. I want to say it was from one of the movies. Okay. I can't, I can't recall which one though it it was although i think it might have been either search for spock or the voyage home i think it might have been from one of the the middle movies um so that's a prop that i've seen in person there's got to be i mean i'm sure they don't all exist anymore but i know a lot of the guys that kept their hobbits feet which i would imagine is very similar to vulcan (laughs) ear tips yeah they don't last they kind of fall apart i don't know let's see chubbs peterson's broken hand from happy gilmore um (laughs) That'd That's a, what you want? That'd be a funny one. No, that'd be a funny one. I'd love to see the lightsaber props that they used from the original movies, um, yeah. from the original Star Wars movies. I think those would be really cool. Um, that that was one that came to mind when I was when I was racking my brain. I was like, you know, I held a replica once of Luke's the original the original ones that they used, you know, and then they superimposed the light over the the rods. But then I know they've they've duplicated that process then here. Um, in the present day too, but those I, I think those would be pretty cool to yeah. see in all of their glory because you, you, we think of you you want to think of movies where props are really prominent, um, where they play a big role and lightsabers in that case. I don't know, like the the Yoda puppet, the original Yoda puppet that they used from Empire Strikes Back, that might be pretty neat too. Um, or even Baby Yoda and the the puppet <laughs> that they use for that right Which now, is a real puppet, I think. Yeah. It's it's cool what they've what they've done with with Baby Yoda and the the mannerisms that that they do with him. Um, another one, Bane's mask from uh, Dark Knight Rises. I think that'd be really cool. Actually, if I could if I could have a sit down conversation with Tom Hardy and have him put the mask on, it, it'd be. But would you be able to understand extra. him? I I think. I, I think you would be think able I to would. understand. I, him. I think I'd be able to relate. I could <laughs> because I imitate the voice all the time. Yeah, those are a couple that that come up right away. Again, movies where where the prop is key that that's one of the big things. But again, it has to be a prop that, like you said, is is small enough to fit the dimensions that you came up with, which is a good question. Yeah, those are some of the most readily um, 
readily apparent ones that that come to mind at least initially. Um, although I'm sure I'll think of more after the after the podcast. That was a good a good spur of the moment question, though. You know, the movies are such a cool thing, and kind of back to the tangible intangibles part of it. They just don't exist, but yet they do. You know, it's hard to rectify that in a way. You know, there is no such such and such because it was all faked, and this thing is actually about two feet tall, but it looks like it's Grand Canyon. Yeah. The way they can come up with the trickery, oh, no, it can't be that big. No, here it is. Here, In fact, we'll go to the vault. See, right there. There it is. It's two feet. No, it can't be two. Yeah, the way they shoot it, it looks... It's the it's the way that movies are trickery done. It doesn't have to exist exist. It just needs to exist for just long enough to fit within the frame, and that's it. And then it can go away. And it's unfortunate that a lot of things do just go away. The props gone. The sharks eaten away. Put intended, I guess. Uh, the cars left out to rot. I can't imagine. I mean, once the movie comes out and it's a hit, don't you move it into better storage conditions? It might just come in handy. Then just let the thing rot to the point where it's just gone. It, what's wrong with you? You know, it, to some people, it's just, eh, it's another job. Even the actors, if they walked onto what an iconic set would be, if, if Jack Nicholson went to a courtroom and happened to be on trial for some dumb reason, and it just happened to be the same place where he had done Nathan Jessup from A Few Good Men, would it even register with him at all? Does it matter? Is it just another day at the office? Do some of them really, really soak it in and really live it up? Some probably do to the point where it's sad, and others just could care less, you know, and everything across the boards. You know what I mean? It's, it's not special to some, and to others, it is absolutely sacred. Maybe in the future we'll have some more stories to tell along these lines. Who knows? We'll... You know, maybe Minnesota will become a hotbed of filming again and more stars will come here. Kind of like the way Atlanta, Georgia has become a big yeah. mecca for filming and Toronto up in Canada. Maybe Minnesota Film Board will get it going again and they'll be filming another movie right here at the radio station. You never know. Maybe James will let us film here someday. Cool. Yeah, we could, <laughs> we could be extras. We've got voices at least if they need if they have radio parts that they need within the movie. We could... We could help out a little bit with that. So one can only hope. It's fun when you can uh, reach so high to touch the stars and actually connect. Just a, just a little, yep. just a skosh. Not asking for much, Hoof. Just a backyard tour of the VIP with Steven Spielberg. <laughs> while Dave, like that's going to happen. While Dave continues to push for that, we hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving and thanks for joining us again for the show. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks, and we will see you at the movies.